صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي ام اند باليستاين ريمبرد وذ روبرت مارتن ناصر مشني اند يوسف احمد الريماوي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Nasser. Yusuf, how are you doing? Uh, well, it's been a long time. Uh, I would like to welcome our dear listeners again. And I have to take all of the blame for not being uh, on air for the last few weeks. Uh, I've been exceptionally busy, but uh, Palestine Remembered is back. We're back. But uh, to, to, to give us some, uh, our listeners some comfort, we have been very busy putting Palvember together, Yusuf. Yes, yes. You would have just heard our ad, so we hopefully our listeners... We'll come to all of our, all of our events in Palvember starting 25 October. But if they go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au, they can find details, organise tickets, and we'd love to see them there. But we're back. And importantly, I've just come back from Palestine, Yusuf. Yes, that's amazing. Uh, myself have not seen you since you've back. Uh, so I'm, my questions will be very genuine, not just for uh, the episode or the show. So uh, let's start with um, whatever you want to tell us about the trip before you enter Palestine. Talk to me about the emotion of your... Uh, I, I understand you went with your family members, some of them. Yeah, so my brother and I took our... four boys so it was just a boy trip um and we must apologize to our female members <laughs> our wives and daughters and mother my mother was very upset that she wasn't allowed to come um but the, the purpose of the trip was to give my nephews who this was their first chance to visit palestine to give them a chance to uh, see as much of palestine as we could in 10 days um and they have a young sister who's only seven years old and we wouldn't have been able to travel as hard as fast for as long Mm. Um, it was an exhausting trip because we were trying to cover so much ground. So your kids have been to Palestine. My, my sons have. Not your nephews. Yeah. Uh, tell me about their expectations or did, did they share any Look, anything before they go? I think I think their expectations were kind of holiday, mm. you know, and, and even for my children who've been before and seen and have asked questions like, but Baba, why are they building on our land? Mm. And Baba, why has everybody got a gun? And Baba, why can't we drive on that road? Mm. And Baba, how come there's no grass here, but there's grass over there? Mm. And Baba, how come we have water tanks on our houses and they don't? And Baba, why can't we turn the light on? And Baba, why can't we flush the toilet here like we flush it at home? And all of the differences that is life for a Palestinian under occupation that isn't life for an Israeli settler in the West Bank mm. or an Israeli uh, within 48 Palestine or in West Jerusalem and not East Jerusalem. So they, they were aware and are aware of the situation of occupation. But, you know, dad, uncle, cousins, the wolf pack is away. They're thinking holiday, yeah? Mm. That being said, you know, the flight over, we are filled with um, nervous energy, apprehension. Um, we came, we landed, in fact, on the first uh, weekend after the summer holidays. And for the, during the summer holidays, the um, Allenby Bridge is open 24-7. I never knew that. 
But because there's so much movement from all over the world into the West Bank, the Alamein Bridge is very, very open. Um, but here we were, we landed on a Saturday morning, and now after the summer, for the nine months of the year when uh, visits are way down, on Friday closes at lunchtime, on Saturday it closes at lunchtime for the Muslims to go to mosque and for the Jews to go to temple. Um, no consideration for Christians on Sunday, it's still open 9 to 5 or I think 8 till 6 on, on, the, on the Sundays. Um, so we landed and we said to the cab driver off to the bridge and he said, the bridge, are you sure? I said, yeah, of course we want to go to the bridge. He said, well, you know, it closes early today. I said, what do you mean it closes early? He said, well, today's the first day of the non-summer. I said, well, you better step on it. Well, then we had the two taxis having a race, you know, with no seatbelts on, steering with their knees, drinking a cup of coffee with a cigarette hanging out of their <laughs> mouth. Jordanian cab drivers doing 140, you know. Um, anyway, we made it. We got on the last bus. Um, and the last bus got us just across the bridge in time. It closed behind us, so we were very fortuitous. Um, and then we, you know, had the the usual expat Palestinian experience being dealt with by, you know, a 20-something-year-old Israeli... Bored... Uh, yeah, bored... Uh, teenager, what was in our, What was in our favor? What was in our favor is that um, they were pretty keen to go home. So the the process was significantly quicker than usual in the sense that, you know, it's, it has taken me before 28 hours. So anything better than 28 hours is quick. Uh, but the general process has been somewhere between four and seven hours. Hold on, hold on. Let's remind our listeners. So you spent more than a day yeah. at one... Uh, sitting at, on at, a steel at, seat. Yeah, yeah, sitting on a steel seat while they did security checks. Hmm. Um, and I was no less Palestinian then, no less an advocate then, no more pro-BDS, anti-Zionism then than I am now. In fact, uh, I, I don't know if I've changed. I, th- I think uh, mm. just a bit greyer, Yusuf. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, they, we, you know, had prepared ourselves, were hydrated and had a couple of snacks with us, uh, which is something you learn. Uh, and we got through in two and a bit hours, I think, just under three hours anyway, mm. from go to woe, which, you know, when you consider how long it takes to enter a normal country as a human being, um, three hours is a really long time. Of course. Standing around. Of course. Um, but, you know, when I uh, approach the gate in my <coughs> thickest Australian accent, G'day, mate. How you doing? And and um, the uh, sort of look of, oh, what's this guy doing coming here? You know, he, does, he, does, he looks like them, but sort of sounds like he a good guy. He does not sound like them. He sounds like a good guy. Sounds, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, pass the passport over and then, they start reading the names of, you know, our children, you know, whether it's um, Nasser or Khaled or Jamal. You know, they, they start, um, yeah, the, the questions start. Where are you going? Who are you seeing? How long are you here for? Why are you coming? Uh, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you coming? You're Australian. Why are you coming? Where was your dad born? What's your grandfather's name? What village was he from? Why are you here? Where are you going? Why are you coming? And so you just, you know, repetitive, come on a uh, on a holiday, can't wait to see your lovely country. Hmm. Yes, we want to visit the beaches, and can't wait to see what uh, what a wonderful place this is. We've heard so many good stories, and you have to uh, in in uh, be as gracious as possible. Uh, and the argument is, how much of your dignity are you willing to lose? Because the reality is, you actually want to say, who the f do you think you are? Hmm. 
you agree to ask, to uh, ask a landowner yeah. Yeah. Uh, why he or she but is doing But the reality, the power in that space rests mm. with a you know, 22 or 24-year-old uh, uh, mm. guy that was uh, my person. Actually, we both, both my brother and I were uh, served you know, by uh, young guys, and um, we just, you just have to do what you have to do. But in the end, thankfully, we got through. So you made it to Palestine? Very excitedly, and then um, it was. What was the first thing you went to? Did you just take? Uh, um, did you go to Jerusalem or Ramallah, or where you? What did you go, want to go first? Yeah, we went straight to Jerusalem. So we always stay in Jerusalem, and uh, very importantly, because the Palestinians of Jerusalem are disconnected mm, from to the a, rest of West Bank, West Bank, and also the forty-eight Palestinians, yeah, yeah. and increasingly so um, economically, it's very difficult. Let's pause here and talk about the three modes of lives that Israel created between Jerusalem, West Bank, and 48 areas. And maybe we can say four modes of lives, including Gaza. And five modes, including... That's applicable to us. So Jerusalem, unlike the rest of West Bank, um, they uh, don't have uh, Palestinian Authority passports, or some of them uh, don't even have the Jordanian passports. And they live uh, as permanent residents in their own city. And unlike the people of 48, they do not have citizens or passports. So they are not as uh, fortunate uh, as the 48 mm-hmm. Palestinians. And they are not... Um, so so let's we can talk about Jerusalem later, but it's a different level of... Yeah, yeah. Uh, they not afforded the opportunity to vote in elections. They're not citizens. They don't have rights. They have to prove that Jerusalem is the center of their life to, uh, for, for everything from income to living to life. Otherwise, that residency is revoked. And they, they pay as much taxes as uh, Jewish Jerusalemites, but, le- but receive 20% services. Yeah, one-fifth. Mm. And, and less. I or mean, if you, see, if, you, if you see the streets, the frequency of rubbish pickup, the quality of the school rooms, the, the, the road infrastructure, the hospitals, the, it, it's, it's suggested it's 150, but it's, 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 it's got to be less than 150. So you went to Jerusalem? Straight to Jerusalem. And, of course, the obligatory photograph uh, from the Mount uh, of Olives, back over um, the Dome of the Rock and the uh, ancient walls of Jerusalem. Um, so the kids got a bit excited about that. And then straight to the hotel. And to give listeners uh, an idea, it, from from door to door, from our home to uh, checking in at the hotel, we were twenty seven hours. So by that point, we were, the word Very is actually tired. the word is toast. <laughs> <laughs> we were toast. So we checked in and had a quick shower, and then we we walked uh, immediately to uh, uh, the Damascus Gate, Beb Al Hamoud, and the old city of Jerusalem. And we took the kids around, and we. Um, um, You know, we ate Palestinian food in Palestine. For, I think, you know, it's it's something that the kids, you could almost see it in their faces. And, and now my children, you know, they're 16 and 14, almost 17 and 15, and, and my nephews are 17 and 15. Um, there's a, a greater realization and understanding of A, the situation, but B, the acceptance of belonging. Now, the reality is if you've got a funny name and a funny religion and a funny skin color in Anglo-Saxon Australia on stolen land, you don't feel like you belong. I mean, the reality is you walk in a shopping center and, you know, the dominant race is white. The language is English. 
it's not our food, uh, it's not our culture, it's not our, uh, they're not our names, people can't pronounce our names. The sounds and smells are Anglo-Saxon. Reality, that is Australia post-colonialism. But in Palestine, the sounds, the oh, smells, be... uh, the, the music, the call to prayer, the, 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 the background, food, ambient. The, the ambience, everybody's skin, everybody's name, everyone can pronounce. There is an innate sense, a feeling of belonging, belonging. and your home. Mm. Your home. And um, even though there's guns and Israeli soldiers and they're chewing their gum, you know, and, and, and ill-fitting army suits, you can see that because they're all conscripts, yeah, and they, they just keep passing the uniforms to the next kid and say, this is yours. I mean, they don't look, they don't look respectable. They look like um, beggars. They don't belong. You can, they obviously don't Not belong. Not to mention settlers. And, and no, settlers, I mean, they're just, you know. We don't see many set, you don't see settlers in um in in in, in Jerusalem. The old see, city. Yeah, you see the 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 Jews you see are Hasidic, very religious, head down and and they're walking um from home to prayer. Um you can see the the settlers at the homes that have been stolen off Palestinians and any homes that have been surreptitiously bought off Palestinians have huge yeah, huge Israeli flags on them. But you don't get the sense of a settler like you do in Hebron. Which is, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, which is a completely different uh, situation. But um, uh, in, in, inside Jerusalem, I mean, they're disheveled, the, the soldiers. And, you know, but the, the, that sense of belonging. So we had hummus straight away and falafel and, you know, such wonderful Palestinian cuisine that is, you know, being appropriated and stolen by the Israelis to create some level of culture. Not that they kept the right pronunciation with hummus. hummus in. <laughs> If you want to steal something, don't mess with, don't mess with the name. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, we, you know, we had a great first day. And then um, from there, you know, the adventure be- began. So, um, you know, day two we were... But before uh, that, on Jerusalem. Yes. Uh, in, in one of my interviews in Arabic with uh, a Palestinian from Al-Quds, He told me uh, that the people of Jerusalem are tired. They are exhausted of the, um, every aspect of their life uh, is affected by occupation. It's not just the military aspect of it. It's the financial burden. It's the psychological pressure. It's the loss of a family member due to war or uh, imprisonment. It's there's 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 more there's more. Um, price that the people of Jerusalem pray, uh, pay uh, compared to maybe the rest of Palestinians. Um, did you feel the, the, the tiresome among the Palestinians of Al-Quds when you went there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, the, the, it, it's tough and it's getting tougher. Um, there used to be, the markets were busier. It's quiet and I, I don't know what it is. I think... Um, There was a huge amount previously, a couple of years ago, uh, a real movement of um, the Palestinians from the north of 48 uh, were very conscious. And they used to come in buses, organized buses, to Jerusalem and would buy their produce from there because most of that produce came from the West Bank. And so they did two things. A, support a farmer in the West Bank and B, support a shopkeeper a in Jerusalem. A Jerusalem, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know uh, exactly why and how that's been broken down, I can't believe that it hasn't been facilitated by the Zionists. Mm. 
um, but it certainly was less busy. Not to mention that they isolated them from their natural natural uh, customer base, customer which is the West base, Bank. Which yeah, is West Bank. Yeah, because ordinarily, theoretically, the East Jerusalemites, their natural captive market is in fact the West Bank. To the extent that most of the traders, most of the merchants of Jerusalem are originally from Hebron. Yeah. Mm. But um, with with the wall and with all of the security apparatus cutting um, uh, East Palestine And their plan to create uh, greater Jerusalem municipality for Jews only. It's made it tougher. And it's, you know, part of the slow ethnic cleanse, the ongoing Nakba, Mm. to make things so unbearable as to force Palestinians... Slowly, to slowly. But, but even as bad as it is, you know, the, the resolution in the, in the Palestinians, the steadfastness, is, mm. you know, remains awesome and inspiring. There's no question they're going nowhere. Um, you've, you've met one of the Palestinians who had recently uh, um, lost his home. Yeah. He was born in... Uh, he was kicked out with his family. But nevertheless, he returns and kept his little uh, his, yeah, yeah, he's just got kiosk. His little kiosk is barely a wall. And, um, uh, you know, he's there from sort of lunchtime till dark, whenever mm. dark might be, um, selling his wares. And it's, it's a very modest stall. Uh, and I, I, I can barely, I can hardly imagine that he uh, earns enough to put food on the mm. table. But... This madness, resilience, you know, beyond imagining. Lost his home and, you know, his family is now homeless. Uh, He's an internally displaced Palestinian, another victim of the ongoing Nakba, but he's not going anywhere. So after Al-Quds? So that was that that day. The next day we, um, uh, first stop was, um, we actually went from there to uh, Orient House. Yusuf. Bet al Sharq, Faisal Husseini. Yeah, yeah. And um, opposite Orient House, and for this used to be the PLO's office in Jerusalem before the Israelis closed it down for our listeners. Um, opposite uh, uh, Orient House is uh, an orphanage where Hind al Husseini. Hind al Husseini. Yeah. Turned it into a school. She turned it into a. Well, she went to um, Der Yassin after April 1948, that most infamous uh, massacre, massacre that the Zionists. Um, Killed enough people to create enough terror, but left enough people alive and sent them to north, the story. south, east, and west, and said, "Go and tell them we're coming." Mm. Um, and Menachem Begin uh, said that yep. had it not been for Der Yassin, the state of Israel would not have been established. Would not, would not exist mm. if it wasn't for Der Yassin. And this is from you know from the, from their own mouths they, that um, they the ethnic cleansing plan Dalit was a um, uh, something that was thought through and organized. It wasn't an accident or by Isolated. Uh, no, no. So Huda al-Husseini took some of the uh, orphans? Well, she had 134 Palestinian pounds. And with that, she set up an orphanage. And today, it's a, a, a school and something really to be proud of. From there, we you know, took the coastal road all the way to Haifa. And um, we on the way to Haifa, we passed Tulkarum. Now, Tulkarim is in uh, the West Bank, but it's actually at a very thin part of Israel, according to the 49 Armistice Line, the Green Line. Uh, and Tulkarim is on a hill, and it's fantastic what they've done. So as you're driving on this main f- highway between Jerusalem and, and uh, Tel Aviv, it's like four lanes either way, it's a super highway, there is a flag would have to be the size of two houses on a huge flagpole. 
the big Palestinian flag. You cannot not see it. Yeah. It's unmissable how big it is. So every Israeli, every, every Israeli Zionist going north or any every Israeli going south. In your face. It's in your face. It's this huge. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's awesome. You know, just a public display awesome. of, you know, we're here. Um, so we went to Haifa and then, um, you know, the, the thing from, from the Israeli side, the wall has got landscaping on it. They've um, uh, disguised it so you can't even see the wall. Whereas on the Palestinian side, it's, you know, just brutal concrete structure. On the Israeli side, they've got, you know, sand mounded up against it, uh, soil, excuse me, that's got grass on it. They've put trees there. So as you're driving, you cannot tell that there's a wall. There's, so, there's so no they, concept of separation. They built a wall to, to, to turn our lives into hell, but they don't want to be affected by yeah, it, no, even visually. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we went to Haifa and um, uh, to Akka and to the very north uh, of, of Palestine, um, Ras al-Nakura, uh, where we, there's a tunnel there that shows the old train line that used to run from uh, Beirut to, to, to Jerusalem. We saw the Palestine-Lebanon uh, uh, border, and then we came home. But not to Safad. Not to Safad. Uh, next time you should uh, go next to Next time Safad. we have to go. For to, me. Yeah, uh, listen, you know, it's, uh, I can't believe we didn't go this time. Next time. Yeah, inshallah. Um, mm. The next day we took the kids to Bethlehem, um, and we went to the Banksy Waldorf Hotel, which is really something amazing um, and uh, a must-see for everyone. Um, so in 30 seconds, there's a little bit of controversy over that hotel. I don't. I, I I know the controversy that you know it's. Um, uh, For the question is why yeah. and what do you think? The, the, why is there controversy well, the and con- what do you think? The controversy is around profiting from the occupation. Mm. The reality is that the man has put in. There is millions of dollars of art in there, millions of dollars, and I say that because of what his pieces command. All of the original pieces are in there on display for everyone. Every one of those pieces is pro-Palestine, anti-occupation, number one. Number two, every human that works in there is a Palestinian from Bethlehem. There you go. Not a white person. Number three, all the money, every piece of product, everything is locally sourced, locally owned, locally manufactured, supporting the local economy. Mm. Number four, because it's Banksy, every guest in there is white. Yep. Every guest is in there in white, sees... And the reality, this is the reality of, you know, the, 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 of colonialism, of white uh, supremacy, of the privilege of white power, is if a white person tells them this is bad, and then, it is bad. It, then it is bad and they can go back and tell. Hmm. So there isn't a white person that doesn't go to the Banksy Hotel to say, ooh, how cool am I? I'm at a Banksy Hotel, that doesn't come away being an advocate for Palestine. Yep. Having supported the Palestinian economy, having hmm. supported Palestinians. So hmm. I'm a, uh, you know, was in the sort of 50-50 space. Until you've seen it. Um, and, and maybe I'm, that's wrong. Maybe I was sort of 40-60 and 60 being pro, but still some reservations. Yep. Having seen it, I'm 150% pro. Okay. We need more Banksy hotels in Palestine. Okay. Um, and from there, we went to Bethlehem and to um, the, the, the Church of the Nativity um, where Jesus was born. Um, we ate at the very uh, famous Aftims in, in, in Bethlehem. Uh, this was opened in 1948 by mm. a Palestinian from uh, from Yaffa, and he makes the world's best well, falafel and hummus. I don't know if you've heard of the joke that uh, the Vatican still owes Palestinian the uh, <coughs> the uh, bill for the Last Supper. Oh, for the Last Supper. Nobody yeah. has paid for yeah. it yet. So there. 
Um, and then from there, you know, very importantly, we should speak about we took the the kids to to Hebron, and mm. we talk about uh, we spoke about settlers in Jerusalem, Yusuf. Mm. There's nothing like seeing uh, a, reality in a, Hebron. A middle-aged, overweight, uh, very religious Jewish woman carrying a, a machine gun. Mm. You know, I mean, it's it's really confronting. I mean, it's confronting to see an army guy wearing it, but, you know, a mother holding her children's hands with a machine gun over her shoulder, it's scary. Only in Palestine. Um, only in, in Palestine and particularly in Hebron. And we've spoken many times about, you know, the Baruch Goldstein and, and the murderous, savage dog that he was. Um, and but, our listeners can go and look up our interview on the massacre of Hebron, Yes, the, the, the documentary we reproduced in English. Yeah, the Ibrahimian Mosque from 1994. But to walk the street with the kids and show them, you know, what was and should be a bustling old city. And, you know, all of the Palestinian cities have old cities, whether it's Yafa, Haifa, Akka, Jerusalem. Like Khalil, Damascus, like Beirut. Yeah, yeah. Khalil, Hebron has an old city, you know, that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. And to see all of those uh, shops boarded up, um, you know, with steel, to see the uh, the number of Israeli soldiers. I mean, not, not one, two, not tens, but hundreds of them. On every corner, the, the the cameras, the apparatus is really something else. Um, so from there, we, uh, one of the, you know, took the kids to Jericho and, you know, all over. One of the things um, that was uh, particularly um, haunting for the kids, we took the kids to Sedrot. Sedrot? I don't know how Sderot. to pronounce it. Sedrot. Sedrot. Um, and took them to that hilltop where you know the Israelis camped out for the cinema show when yeah. they, when the Israelis were bombing Gaza. Yeah, yeah the, uh, j- j- to the actual let, hill. Let's rephrase to listeners: during the bombardment of Gaza, during the war atrocities against Palestinians, so what did the the next door neighbor do? So they went out and they uh, have a they, good night out. They took some couches with them. Couches, and they just watched the open cinema. So uh, we sat on that hill. Mm. That famous place where the New York Times took that picture of these people with a disused celebrating couch, our se- death, watching the show, the light show of all the bombs coming down, raining upon us, um, and we took the kids there. And mm. I said to them, I said, "Look, this is as close to Gaza as we can get. You can see the fence. There's 365 square kilometers surrounded by the fence and the water. The water's patrolled by Israeli navy boats, uh, the, and around it by um, Israeli guns. The and, and tanks and munitions and drones and the guard towers. Two million people are trapped in there in 365 kilometers. And this is something we'd, we'd driven for best part of an hour and a half to get there from Jerusalem. The land is empty. It's all agricultural land. And uh, Dr. B- uh, uh, Salman Abu Sitta had a talk, and one of the things we spoke about is just how easy it is for most Palestinians, most of the refugees, to return to their lands, not just their homes, but to their lands, because that land is not being used. The 70% of the residents of Jerusalem live uh, are refugees from lands less than a day's walk from where they live. Now, this is something I had never actually calculated before. 365 kilometers, 2 million people. That's 5,500 people per square kilometer. Australia has 25 million people in 7.7 million kilometres. That's three people per Mm. kilometre. If Australia had the same population density as Gaza... What's what's our population would be? 42.5 billion people. Billion? Billion. 
seven That's times. That's more than the population of Earth. Seven so times the current population of Earth, or six times the current population of Earth, would be in Australia. Yeah. Let, so let that sink. Forty-two and a half billion people in Australia. You think people have got traffic uh, now? Imagine them all being there. Nasser, um, there is an important topic you touched on: uh, the tour of Dr. Salman Abusitte, one of our most knowledgeable Palestinians alive, and who we were fortunate enough to ho- to see him here in Melbourne and in other uh, in Adelaide and in Canberra. Uh, I don't want to talk about him uh, in less no. than. Uh, we'll do a special let's, show let's, on let's give him uh, the time he deserves. Yeah. But next week, but before uh, we end uh, the episode, uh, November is coming up, which is an exciting month for Palestinians in Melbourne. What's happening, Nasser, in November? Listeners, don't forget, uh, Palvember is coming up, starting off in late October, 25th of October, the Global Gardens of Peace, which is a fundraiser for a garden in Gaza. From the 31st of October to the 5th of November, the 10th Palestine Film Festival. The 6th to the 8th of November, the Black Palestine Solidarity Conference at Melbourne University. The 9th of November, Let's Talk Palestine, the Avaro Centre for Arab Culture. The 15th of November, Palestine National Day. The 17th of November, Run for Palestine. And culminating with the Jerusalem Peace Prize on the 22nd of November. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go to apan.org.au apan.org.au and find out details of Palvember for 2019. That's it. With this, we've come to the end of uh, our edition of Palestine Remembered. Thanks for uh, tuning in. And uh, hopefully the three of us uh, will see you next uh, week. Until then, this is Nasser and Yusuf wishing you the best of time and salam.